Last week we were in Acts chapter 8. We only tackled a few verses. This week we're tackling far more. I will keep things moving. When you go through the Bible, it may have that you're dealing with multiple different subjects. And so it's not all tidy and like the theme is this. Here's the topic. And it's nice and clean. So we're going to bounce around until we get to the main thrust of what we're happening. But essentially, the gospel under persecution in Jerusalem is spreading out to other areas. And uh, it's intermingling with different cultures and personalities. One of the guys is a dude named Simon the Magician, Simon Magus. And so we're going there. And there's a bunch of stuff that we're going to glean from the text. I'm excited. It's really cool. Let's jump in and then we'll talk about it. But what you'll see is magician versus Christian showdown. Or I could have gone paganism versus Christianity showdown, or the occult and Christianity showdown. And I'm going to show you how it's actually far more relevant right here and now than you might have thought. And there's going to be some great, uh, it's like a buffet. There's stuff in here for everyone. I was challenged by the text, and I'm better for the text. So buckle up, we're jumping in right now, verses 9 and 10. Here we go. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Not a super humble move, right? Hey, guys. I'm pretty awesome. (laughs) Welcome to Simon. Here we go. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So he's like, hey, guys, I'm great. And they totally were like, yep, I think you are. I think you're from God, and I think you're great. So Simon, what's Simon interested in? Simon's interested in power, isn't he? You can see, and he's he's interested in being glorified there. He's self-exaltation, right? I mean, his Instagram feed is just all glamour shots and power and that kind of thing. He's puffed up. He's prideful. It's part of how you tell a real prophet of God versus a false prophet. A real prophet in humility points to God and say, no, no, not me, but him. Simon does the exact opposite. And he says, see my power, see my greatness, look at me. And so where a prophet points shows you whether they're a true prophet or false prophet. True prophet points elsewhere. Here is Jesus. As John the Baptist said, I must become lesser and he must become greater. Not me, but the one who follows after me. He is the great one. Simon, on the other hand, false prophet, look at me, follow me, worship me, me. That's the false prophet move. But I want you to see that Simon, because this is going to come out throughout the text, is interested in himself, in his own strength, his own power, his own wealth, his own prestige, his own riches. And that's really important. Let's keep moving. Verse 11. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Immediately you're like, all right. So we're there. We're doing magic stuff now. Is that right? Yeah, we're doing the magic. Now, there's a couple possibilities. One possibility is this dude's a con artist. Are there people who are able to just slate of hand, trickery of the eye, be able to just wow you and amaze you? Yeah, you go to Vegas and see him and shows, and you're like, how in the world could they know this stuff? And it's just a con. We don't think that they're actually able to read your mind or to do something like that. It's just trickery. And many of them will even admit it. It's just tricks. It's tricks, right? And so it could have been that Simon was just a con artist. It could have been that he was tricking everyone. Now, there's also another option in in play. And that is, 
there are spiritual forces beyond the seen realm. God, who is the creator, is the unseen which initiated and caused everything. He made it all. Also, angels and demons do exist. Angels exert certain power, and so does the demonic. Now, whereas God's power is a power that comes through and it is not able to be manipulated by man for self-exaltation or for greatness. God doesn't let you tap into his power to do tricks so that you can become someone great. You notice the, the miracles of Jesus are always serving some pragmatic person, purpose. It's not like if you had all of a sudden, you know, alpha and omega power. You know, how many of y'all saw that movie, Bruce Almighty, where he gets that? And there's that movie and he's walking, he's walking down the street and he's like, I've got the power. And then he like does something and it blows up a fire hydrant and stuff. And it's like lightning bolts and they're like flying. I'm like, da-da, I'd be doing all kinds. You would know immediately God's hooking me up. I'm just like floating through the air. I'm like, whoa, I'd be doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So would you too, right? But using that power for your own fun, your own greed, your own personal reasons God's not doing that with his power. It's, no, 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 more practical. It's, I'm after your heart. He'll use sign and wonders to heal people, to do so that the blind can see, so the paralyzed can walk. He is loving them through it. He's not doing these superficial kind of miracles that you and I in our fallen state would want to be using. And so that's part of how you see the power of God working. It's not working to boost the renown of the individual. Now, the demonic powers of the world will absolutely do that exchange. You want a little power? Great. Then give me part of your soul. Give me part of who you are. And that exchange, that Faustian exchange, demons love to do that. So if you would like to exercise that power over a spiritual realm, demons are lining up saying, absolutely. You want to play witchcraft? We would love for you to become obsessed with that. Now, for many of us, we would think of like, yeah, this sounds extremely like old and archaic, right? This is of like, guys, it's 2023 and this is not a big deal. And I'd say, you been to any bookstores lately? Really? I'm thinking of one right now and right by the checkout desk. That's prime real estate, prime real estate right by the checkout. There's this massive section of tarot cards, witchcraft, the occult, uh, uh, readings, this kind of stuff. It's literally witchcraft. And it's right there, front and center. And the section was huge. I'm thinking of another bookstore locally. And the section on witchcraft is bigger than the entire philosophy section. It's bigger than the history of the world section. World history, the occult witchcraft. What? What? Because to me, it feels like this is weird and crazy stuff. And I'll say, you may not know folks that are dabbling in this demonic power and witchcraft, but it is everywhere. You don't know them personally, and I'm not hanging out with them either, but it is spreading like wildfire. The reason why they have all this merch to buy and all these different spell books is because people are buying them in alarming and crazy numbers. You're like, where does this come from? I'm like, well, first off, this has been with us for thousands of years and it's never gone away. This is old paganism. This is the occult. This is plugging into nature. We think it's nature. It's actually demonic presence that is giving power and impetus and energy to that. 
uh, but it's the same old thing. And there's a resurgence of Satanism and Wiccas, Wiccan, Wiccanism. Is that a word? Wiccanism? Nailed it. I'm going to just claim it. Yes, correct. I did it. Uh, Wicca, that's thing. Uh, little young girls think that they can be witches or white witches where they're using the power, but for a good thing. And so they feel a little bit better about it. But it's everywhere. It's like, where does this, inter- where does this interest come from? And I'm like, this is actually far more inundated in our culture than you and I would uh, really like to readily admit. So, for instance, um, it, our little kids are trained on this early. Anybody watch Frozen? I'm not picking on you. You're like, yeah, well, don't, don't be too excited. I'm like, yay, let it snow. Let it, no one's, well, she's a witch, <laughs> you know. She's technically a witch plugging into nature doing sorcery stuff. Uh, any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Come on, bro. It's like, this is bro stuff. This is bro stuff. Uh, yeah, of like, hey, there's Gandalf the Grey. He's a wizard, right? Uh, e- even in some of the stuff of like Narnia, but you see magic and magicians. Now, technically, because I'm a nerd who's read the Silmarillion, even for J.R. Tolkien, this huge work of lore, you find out Gandalf is more of like an angelic being that's like catapulted down to earth. But anyway, regardless. Magic, 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 it's everywhere. And now what I wouldn't want, what I'm not saying as a parent is, hey, anything that has any magic anywhere, take it out. They're not allowed to see anything. Take your kid, hide them in a hermitage hole and let them out when they're like 35 so that they can meet the spouse that you've selected. They marry and you put them back in the hole. I'm like, nope, not going there. (laughs) Somebody's giving me the crazy look. It's a guest. They're never coming back. I'm sorry, give me another chance here. I'm not saying hide your kids. I'm saying, hey, because this stuff is everywhere, it's in our movies, it's in our TV, it's in our bookstores, it's in our culture in a bigger way than you and I would readily admit. Because it's got a neat soundtrack behind it doesn't mean that we're not ferreting in the old occult. I remember being shocked by the cartoon movie Pocahontas. It's pure demonic paganism of plugging into nature and spiritism. And you see that the Christian God is absent and evil and cruel, but the pagan spirits are benevolent and kind and sweet. And it sends that tacit message to our kids. Now, what I'm not saying is, hey, hide your kids in a hole and never let them interact with any of the culture. It's saying, no, if you watch the stuff, you're there to decode the stuff. So for instance, and this is just my personal take, I'm going to let you I want it to be on your radar so you can figure out how can I parent well through this stuff. You can hide your kids. And and from some of the stuff I hide, my kids are never going to see the movie Poltergeist. No, I know. (laughs) What the? Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is nowhere on our movie watch list. Just pure poison, no place. But hey, I like Pirates of the Caribbean. I do. But there's like magic and occult stuff here. If you don't know Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, me and my boys just watched it. If you'd like to judge me and you're super spiritual and religious and you're way past me, congratulations. Big slow clap for you. Way to go. But I'm just where I am. And if you want to judge me, let's get it over with. Do your thing. And then I won't see you next week. Fantastic. Glad that's out of the way. Anyway, we watched Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, I, I watched with a remote in hand. This is dad privileges. And every once in a while, I'll pause and I'll ask a leading question. I'm like, all right, so give me the theology behind Pirates of the Caribbean, right? You remember this? 
This is, yeah. He's like, yep, yep. I wish you'd just let me play and watch the stupid movie, Dad. I'm like, no, this is the barter. This is the accord. I get to do this a few times. I'm like, so what happens in the movie is Cortez comes across the ocean. His armies slaughter the Aztecs. And in anger and retribution at the genocide that happens, the pagan gods put a terrible curse on anyone that stole the Aztec gold. Now notice there's some historical revisionism going on. How did the Aztecs die? Was it the armies of, of Cortez? No, it was disease. Three fourths of them were wiped out by terrible disease. And by the way, were these good people or bad people? They were terrible. They had literally pyramid mountains of skulls and bones where they would go to neighboring tribes. They would kill, they would take hostage, and then they would sacrifice their children every single morning to make the sun come up. Crimes against humanity makes Nazi SS look like, uh, looks pretty good compared to them. So these are evil people. But still, none of that's ever going to be coming across in a Disney movie, right? You notice in this movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the pagan deities were real and had power, but the Christian God is nowhere. And in fact, the Christian God uh, that represents the white man in this case is absolutely absent uh, with no power, but the pagan deities are able to levy a curse. Now, what happens in this is they betray Bootstrap Bill, a pirate. They betray him, but it's through his offspring, through the blood of his atoning sacrifice, that the curse can be lifted and those who are dead will be able to rise again. That's the theme of the movie. It's literally a completely demonic, twisted anti-gospel, isn't it? There's a false blood sacrifice and atonement to resurrect uh, the dead from a pagan curse. <laughs> now, how many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean and never put all that together? Raise your hand, you liars. Raise your hand. Yeah, you didn't put it together. And so what this means is, is when we're interacting with culture, because the occult and witchcraft, it's all over the place. We're just not seeing. And so I wanted to take a tangible example so you and I can lean in and as good parents and as good Christians, we're actually discerning what's going on around us. Sometimes we're so easy to manipulate when we're at our leisure. We're hanging out. We're just, I'm just vegging out and recharging. I'm like, yeah, but Christian, you can never drop the gate and just allow these outside influences to shape how your mind and heart works. Because if it's getting by your radar, what damage is being done for our kids? So if you're going to engage with stuff like this, we have to be there to be able to point out the good. And there's redeeming aspects of the movie too, right? And that's what Christianity is all about. It's by taking something that's fallen and redeeming it to make something good from it. That's God's oldest thing. That's the story of us. That's the story of a lot of folks as we're coming up on the Christmas season want to point out of like, whoa, whoa, um, uh, Christmas was taken from all these pagan traditions. How many of y'all have heard that? Even if that's absolutely true in every way or in just a few ways or in no ways, it doesn't matter of like what cooler thing would it be to take a pagan festival, something devoted to the spiritual forces of evil and redeeming it to make it a season about loving Jesus, sacrifice, hymns, gift it. Look, we took the bad thing and redeemed it to be a good thing. 
That's Jesus' whole business. And so I can absolutely redeem December 25th to the glory of God. Recognizing Jesus who can redeem a single day can certainly redeem much more than that in that what were you? You were a former non-believer demonic pagan. Now you wouldn't think of yourselves in that way and that just means we got to study Bible more. You're with God or against God and if you're not a believer in God, you are classified by the Bible as an enemy of God. And who is the enemy of God? And so there, there's how it checks out. So anyway, uh, we were enemies of God. We were redeemed. And now God took you and made you redeemed for the betterment, right? And so in the same way, we can redeem fallen structures. Some of them are beyond redemption. Again, Poltergeist and Freddy Cougar will never be on my TV screen, right? But some of these other things, I, I'm allowing my boys to see some of what's affecting culture, and we're able to decode it so that we can become benefit, we can get benefits from it, and we can take the stuff that's bad and pull it to the side so it's not affecting us. You see what we do in our household? Now, I'm just saying, hey, this is what we do. You do you, and I'll be like fist pump, fist pump to the glory of God. Got it? All right, very good. That was a bit of a rabbit trail, and I've got my clean, tidy sermon, but I thought, I want to get, I don't want to preach a beautiful sermon. I want to be as real and raw and practical as I possibly can as I'm marching forward toward Jesus on this journey through life, getting a little better in his name uh, at a time. And I want to be able to talk to what you're actually dealing with out there. You got it? So I make risks as a communicator to open myself up to judgment to show you exactly where we are and what we're doing because I don't care to be Simon Magus having you think I'm something that I'm great and better than I am. Nope, I'm just John. That's it. And I'm on a journey and this is what I'm doing so far. And following Jesus, I'll be a little bit better tomorrow is the goal. But I have not arrived and this is where I'm at. Got it? I also like it too because one of the most awful things that can affect the church is the legalist, it's the religious people, it's the Pharisee. And so I want those folks who are quick to judge, who think that they're, oh, John's here and I'm here. I'm like, great, fantastic, congratulations. I'm so proud of your progress. Maybe go find somebody else who can walk on water uh, here on earth. All right, so anyway, let's keep uh, pushing on. Verse 12 through 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. What Simon bumps into is there's a superior power. He's been top uh, dog around that area in Samaria. He is great. He is rich, he is popular, and he is powerful. But all of a sudden, a new person comes to town, and they've got different things that are far more powerful than them. One, it's the power of a transformed life. These people are humble, and they're loving, and they're kind, and they're magnetic in a way that hasn't been seen before. It's something is different about these people in terms of their identity and their character. These are different kind of people. They're not like everyone I've ever met. These Christians, they have something about them which is different. They have the power of a changed life. Not only that, the truth they're espousing makes more sense of the world than any other things that people are saying. 
the power of their arguments, their truth, their ability to support it, it, ha- it stands head and shoulders above the wisdom of this world. Today, this is absolutely still true. The wisdom of the Judeo-Christian ethic stands head and shoulders apart from the wisdom of the world. Whether it's premaritally shacking up and cohabitating, or an open marriage, or any type of occult and witchcraft, anything in between those bookends, and the Christian truth and the Christian way of living is superior. It makes healthier marriages. It makes healthier kids. It makes more educated kids. It makes us blessed in ways that the world looks on in shock and awe. And furthermore, the miracles that were being done by the Christians in that time were greater. Simon couldn't con his way through that, and he couldn't summon that kind of power. So he recognized in multiple different ways the power of God was greater than the power of Satan. That's what he saw. Now, interestingly enough, because some of us will look at Bible, and the mistake we read, the mistake people do all the time with the Bible is when you read it, you think that this is something that was back then, and you fail to understand there's nothing new under the sun. All the old pagan stuff, whether you're sacrificing kids... Uh, to make the sun god come up in the Aztecs. And what do we do now? We kill well over a million babies a year in the United States against a genocide against the unborn. And then we take their stem cells and we put it in all kinds of our drugs and our cosmetics. And what is that but cannibalism? We're no better than the ancients, except we've become far, far more sophisticated and in killing. And instead of doing it with knives and spears on top of a mountain of bones, we do it clinically with a suit and tie inside an an operating room. That's where we'll do our genocides. And we'll let somebody else do it. Clean and sterile. No fuss. We've just become highly efficient murderers. But all the old pagan ritualistic sacrifice stuff, we're still doing it all. It just looks a little different. I need you to be able to spot it. Now, interesting enough, we have a bit of a modern Simon Magus. This is a gal. She was on a TV show called Ink Masters. Anybody ever seen that show? It's about getting tattoos and stuff, and apparently she's a great tattoo artist and maybe a musician, and she's an artist, but she's been a practicing witch for a very long time. But all the stuff in witchcraft and this power that she was after, and she believes that she and others really actually did have a power. She has recently converted to Christianity and is outspoken about it. So she's caught all kinds of backlash. But I wanted to play a quick interview with her because the, the funny thing is, is her story versus the apostles and then the power of the truth in a transformed life is, was the same then. And it's playing the exact same story just played out under our noses in 2023 America. Let's go ahead and uh, load it up. Here we go. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, pause, pause, pause. Uh, is, do y'all need to know which one was the one who thought she was a witch? It's the top one. It's the, in case you were confused, the one that thought she was a witch is the one that looks exactly like a witch. Anyway, she's not now. Uh, she claims to be uh, putting all that side. She got rid of all of her magic stuff. And now she's saying Jesus alone is who I'll follow. So what it looks like is took all the old stuff, got rid of it, burned those ships, and following Jesus is uh, what she's claiming. So here's her remarking on her past and present. 
My husband and I, we look at our the Rolodex of friends that we have and the ones that are dictating their life through that and they're making life decisions through tarot or through, um, you know, some of the witchcraft stuff, like uh, even the meditation stuff or like, you know, and I'm pro- I'm going to definitely offend a lot of people, but like the, the ayahuasca trips or the the meditation caps and silent retreats, all the things yeah. that I used to do, except I never did ayahuasca, but like, they're all so miserable. Yeah. And like, they're the most broke people. Usually most of them are single. They don't have stability. And I'm talking about like both financial and like the love around them. Right. There's always these, this drama and dread and doom and gloom. And I was one of them, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's one thing that I would look around at my Christian friends and I'm like, they're not perfect by any means. Yeah. But I want what you have, you know? Mm. Like, I love the light that you have and it's like um so so you know we're like let's not be dummies anymore and let's just like figure out what this like this obviously hasn't worked for us you know let's like explore this and so that's kind of like my whole perspective on it the world is miserable despite what they will feed you which is just their glamour shots across social media facebook oh everything's going great and you have no idea what it took to put that in and you don't know what they're really living like a lot of social media is just lying publicly it's it's like your resume you're putting out there to let everyone know that you're doing great and everything's awesome when secretly people are miserable that's why they're trying desperately to sell the world that they're happy and they feel such compunction to share all of the glamour shots, always the great make it, you're looking good, you're looking at everything's right angle, you're presenting something and hopefully if the world uh, believes it, then you'll start to believe it too. But make no mistake, most of the world is miserable. And what this gal was noticing is, is she had Christian friends that had a peace that she nor anyone else she knew had. They had a peace that passed all understanding. They had a joy that was inexplicable. Their lives were healthy, their relationships flourishing. They had a light that she didn't understand and she wanted that power, she wanted that change in her life and it it, uh, ended up pushing her on a quest where she was after a certain power, she was after something and then she ended up at the end of that road finding someone and that someone is Jesus, right? Uh, verses, uh, I'm a little bit behind. So verses 14 through 17, we're not going to read. I'll just say that uh, there is a laying on of hands and a receiving of the Holy Spirit by those who had uh, not been there at the resurrection of Christ. They had just heard about the coming Messiah. So there's a bit of a shift from Old Testament to New Testament that was unique to that time. But they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And when Simon the magician sees that, he's like, Whoa, superpower, this looks awesome. And so he wants that and we'll pick up in verse 18 through 25, which will take us home. I'll talk about three different points that I picked up on that I want you to see and then we'll uh, dismiss you. So here we go, verses 18 through 25. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What's he want? Power. He's not after the person, is he? He's after the power. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. 
because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You are a slave to sin. You are owned by the demonic forces of evil. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, three things. First off, you notice a hardcore reaction by Peter and John. Maybe you would have done that a little bit different. We're a little more seeker friendly these days, aren't we? I'm like, hey, I'd like to get the Holy Spirit. Can I give this? I'm like, hey, thanks so much for giving. We got an offering basket right there in the back. Really appreciate that. But let me just, let me partner with you in prayer here. We're real good at being super sweet. We're not real good at using scripture for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. It's the rebuking thing that we've just completely decided, no, Jesus and his disciples were wrong. There's no place in our modern day to say anything that someone might not like. And in doing so, we remove the offense of the gospel and we just end up uh, speaking only a good news with no rebuke, right? And so our modern churches, could you imagine someone trying to give to your church once the Holy Spirit and you rebuke them and tell them that they're going to burn in hell for it? Bro, that is not how we do things. <laughs> That's not how we do things. And I'm just saying... Let's look at the actual text and let's see how things are being dealt. Because first off, I love how the apostles took the offense that was intended for God personally. I love that. Because really what they're doing is if you... The, the problem was is Simon, by what he was trying to do, was saying something extremely evil about who God was. He was saying, your God can be bought with money. The Creator! <laughs> of Alpha Centauri, you're going to give him some U.S. dollars and he's going to, you think that's how, it, you think God needs your money? And this is such a thing that people who love money would always do. They think People who love money think that money is the solution for all problems. They also think that because for them, the secret motivation is always more money, they believe that that's everyone else's secret motivation too. So especially when they come to the church of like, ah, God's just after your money and this is a big racket. Y'all are just trying to manipulate people to control them and get their money. They have no idea. They're just throwing out accusations because out of the overflow of an evil heart, the mouth speaks and they're assuming everyone's just like them. They don't recognize that. Man, I know pastors who have emptied their life savings multiple times and gave it all to the church to be on mission. I'm like, whoa! I know when Becca and I, we, got, we were working good jobs and we went to the mission field. We spent every dime we had. Came back broke as a joke and then ended up torpedoing into some hard times, right, baby? Of like, right now, I'm working for free. I'm worse than that. I'm paying to be here because I tie that often. I'm not taking anything and I won't. Uh, you know, of like, I'm, I'm doing this gig because I believe and I want to follow Jesus. And I want to serve you. But people who are rich, uh, and who love money, because you can love money and not be rich. A lot of folks who are in dire poverty are lovers of money. They're guilty of the same crime as people who are rich. So it's not being rich that's the bad thing. You can be rich and very well off and use those riches as a, a, as a wonderful thing. So it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money, right? Those who trust in riches cannot possibly be saved. 
There is no salvation for those who love money. Can't do it. Because those who uh, love money put their trust and faith in money. For those who love power, there's no salvation for those who love power. For they put their trust in power. It's only the humble who find a Savior because they recognize they need one. They put their trust in a Savior because they know they need salvation. Only people who ever receive salvation are those who come humbly on their knees as beggars at the foot of the cross. That's it. And Simon thought he could come proudly in power and wealth and there would be an exchange and he can take what he wants. And so it's essentially uh, charging God with someone who can be bought. It's to cheapen them. Imagine that you went out, ladies, and somebody came up and offered you 50 bucks as a prostitution fee. And that happened today. You'd be like, how dare you? Wouldn't it, right? That would be a very offensive thing. And yet that's exactly what they're saying about God here. That's an offensive kind of thing. Uh, so one is it's a slap in the face of God. Second thing I want to point out uh, of, of what I'm seeing from the text. One, slap in the face of God. Two is Simon was seeking Christ for his benefits, not Christ himself. A lot of people do this. Uh, they, they want to go to church and they want to draw near God because they're looking to get something from God. It's not about loving Jesus. It's about a benefit that you can get by being in the sphere of all the church and religious and Christianity. Simon was after power, like magician type of power, renown, exaltation, that kind of thing. Other folks look for power, and this is the religious person. They want to be able to get power through religious rules. This was the power of the Pharisees. They were after God so that they could be set up in high places of exaltation, and they could rule the people through by using this as a hammer to club people into submission. So religious people love power, and they control people by the letter of the law. But it's the Spirit of God who gives grace and mercy. You're not under the letter of the law. You're under the Spirit of grace, right? Religious people want to flip that and say, no, you're under the law, and I am the one who is the mediator between you and God, and I here am telling you what you have to do. They're after power, like Simon uh, the magician. Other folks are after, uh, they are after God so that God might bless their lives. They want comfort. They don't want to get sick. They want things to go well for them. And if they can just uh, go to church, toss a few bucks in the offering, say a prayer before meals, they can kind of, without too much fuss and upset, coast through this life happy and comfortably and everything goes well for them. And that, without saying it out loud, that's what they're doing. They don't really love Jesus. They just want a nice, comfortable and happy life. And they see placating God. You try to please him a little and he'll leave you alone and help you out when you're in a pinch. You're not after Jesus, are you? You're after his blessing. You don't want Christ. You want what Christ has. And there's a completely different and diabolical difference. Y'all get it? Now here, I, I want to encourage y'all right now of uh, uh, make sure that we're not listening to this and imagining that this is always about someone else. I think the real humble Christian 
takes the text and always first and foremost applies it to you. This is a word for me. Because you may be guilty of this stuff in ways that you don't really admit. And if we're immediately just kind of like a rebound off, everything that comes to you bounces off and sticks to someone else and you have the immediate inclination to, oh, I need to pray for that. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's so-and-so. You might be deflecting things that God actually means for you, right? I'm not saying that for you personally any more than this is what I do. This is what we're supposed to do. First and foremost, Scripture is supposed to point toward us and rip through our hearts looking for any tiny seed of sin that we may not even be aware of. Got it? This is meant not for who you know. It's meant for you. Got it? Who's this meant for? Me. Who's it meant for? Me. And me too. Me too. All right, very good. Uh, some people don't really want Jesus. They're just scared of hell. If there's a hell, I really don't want to go there. So let me do just enough to make sure I go to heaven. So you're fear motivated. Again, you're not motivated because you love God and you want to serve Jesus. You are motivated because if there's a hell, you really don't want to go there. Got it? Uh, other folks recognize that the Christian way of life is healthy living. You want to feel like you're a moral person. You want to feel like you're a good person. So you just get up and you go to church on Sunday mornings because that's what... Uh, healthy people do, and you check that block and you feel good, and you're out the door and you're not really thinking about it. Next Sunday, you just do it. It's a matter of habit. We're in the South. I, I passed 20 dead churches on the way to this one, uh, whereas people are just checking the block and they're after healthy living. Uh, but again, you're wanting the benefits of a transformed life. You're not really after uh, Jesus himself. Uh, last one is maybe Maybe you're not really after Jesus. Maybe you're after moral constraints for your spouse or your kids. It's interesting. A lot of folks live like hell for a while. Then they have kids. And as soon as they have kids, there's something that switches. I'm like, oh, God, we got, we got to raise these folks. To, we got to raise these kids to be good. And we're like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I think the church knows. We should check that out. We haven't been in years. And people end up pouring into the church as soon as they have the kids. You all know this? This, this is a very common thing. Now, I'll take it. I'm good with this. I want you here, so whatever brought you here is great with me. It's not what brought you to church. It's why you stay at church that matters to me. I, I want you after Jesus, right? Some folks, uh, you're not really after Jesus. You're after a good spouse. And you know you can find somebody who will take care of you at church. There's good people. That's a better gamble than going to the bar is you find a girl at church. That's going to go better. We have a moral code that your spouse will live by uh, and your kids. But again, though that's true and that's beneficial, is that what you're after or is it after Jesus? Here's a way that I can uh, put it. And I've heard someone else do this. I don't remember where. Imagine that you have died and you have gone to heaven. The folks that you've lost over the years are there. Yes, your old puppy is there too. Becca is deeply interested in whether our last sweet late dog is there. She's there. Congratulations, baby. Uh, you know, just beauty, majesty, everything that you could want is there in heaven, except you just can't find Jesus. How's that hit you? Don't think about it. Don't, don't rationalize. Don't think what you should do. Just immediately, viscerally, what did that do in your heart? 
if everything you wanted was there. Heaven was beautiful. It was amazing, spectacular, joyful, peaceful, but Jesus wasn't there. Would you want to be there at all? Would you rather be in worse circumstances following Jesus than the best circumstances without him? Would you tear apart the new heaven and new earth, uh, scorning all the riches in every relationship on a manhunt for Jesus that would never end until you found him because that's who you're after? I want to be in heaven, not because it's beautiful and awesome, but because that's where Jesus is. And if Jesus is somewhere else, let me skip heaven and be with Jesus because it's all about him who saves and redeems. It's all about Jesus. And that's the test. That's how you know who you're really after. And this is the point where I got chill bumps. Every sermon I preach, just mm, Holy Spirit ministering sweetly to me puts my soul on fire. And I just say to you guys, hey, we're not after Christ's benefits. We're after Christ himself. Where are you at? Where is your heart at? And if it's not, we need to repent and actually follow Jesus and in truth. Last thing I'll point out, Simon had an intellectual belief of God, an intellectual belief, but was his a converted heart? He talked the talk. Yeah, he's, he's following. And it, the scripture says that he believed the message that Philip gave and Peter and John. He believed the message, but he believed intellectually. In James chapter 2, there's an interesting point. James uh, says that you believe in God, you do well. So do demons, and they tremble in horror. And what that means is you may believe there is a God. You may believe Jesus is Emmanuel, God come down and making his place among us. You may intellectually believe that. Good job. Satan believes that too, and he is damned. It is very easy for us to intellectually believe in God and to have a heart that is far from Him. Where are you? Where are you? Is it possible that only your mind is converted like Simon the Magician? Could it be you've been playing church games? Could it be that you're not after Jesus? Not really. You don't really love him. You're just after something else. What he can do for you. Where are you at this morning? Scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. And some of us are not converted. Your minds say there is a God, but your heart doesn't yearn for Jesus. And until it does, you are not his. Perhaps the disciples coming face to face with us would rebuke us similarly, much to our horror. Now, the beauty is, is there's such a simple solution. The Bible lays this out so beautifully. It's repent. And you put your faith, you give your life to Jesus. It looks like this. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. By the way, here, oh, nope, heads up again. I had something else. <laughs> the saved those who have been born again are always getting resaved, you know? Always. I mean, this is like giving my life to Jesus and praying for him to, like, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to live for you. Transform me and use me. I'm all yours. There, sinner's prayer, whatever you call it. I'm repenting of sin and giving my life to Jesus. The really redeemed pray that 
all the time. I've got saved a million times. I'm going to get saved two more times today. It's going to be amazing. Now, I mean that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I was saved. There was a point in time around May 20th of 2001 where the old John Lovell was gone. If you'd known me, and then you'd known me a week later, you would say, this is a different man. And that's true. It was, I was changed. I was one way and then I was another way. So that for me, it came down to a point. Since then, I'm always repenting and I'm always giving my life to Jesus. So you, before you're immediately uh, saying, like, whoa, 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 I'm already saved. Or like, blah, 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 blah. Let, let's all give our lives to Jesus every single day, right? Those who are not truly saved, they may look back in an event and you don't know whether you really got saved then. You have no idea. Maybe you were, having, you were feeling sorry for yourself Maybe you just had a breakup. Maybe you just, things were bad and you got into trouble or you were miserable. And then you went to church. Someone said something pretty. A song was in the background and you cried and someone told you you were saved and you weren't. You weren't really saved. I don't know. I have no idea. But all I know is, is you put it all to rest by giving your heart and soul to Jesus right here. And then every day, from now on. Sounds good? So let's do that together. Y'all ready? Here we go. Jesus, we have sinned against you. And I pray that you would accept our appeal, our repentance. For whatever reason, for wherever we've been, I pray that you would give us true forgiveness and that you would transform us into being your children. We give our lives to you from today and all the days forward. And we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would have you living in us and through us on mission for your glory forever and ever. Without reservation, we give you everything and desire to serve you forever. In your name, amen. amen. And some prayer like that, always and forever, never stop getting saved. Do you get it? As we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. One speaks of initial regeneration and salvation. We're being saved speaks of sanctification. We are getting better. We are being saved. And glorification speaks of salvation, and one day we'll receive new bodies and be with Jesus forever. All of it is being saved. Do you all understand? It's called soteriology. There's a $10 word to know that saved is a much bigger category than you thought. Sounds good? Fantastic. I've had a great time. You guys are amazing. Love you so much. You are now dismissed.